Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray as we open God's word. Lord, thank you that you are a God who loves us and you want to speak to us. And we know that you have words for us to instruct us, in some cases to encourage us, in some cases to challenge us. And Lord, we pray that we would be open and receptive to whatever your word has to speak to us today. And we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear and receive and put into practice what you speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, my wife Rosemary and I, we made a decision. Our decision was we were done having kids. No more kids for us. You know, God created for six days, and then he stopped. And so there comes a time when you can stop having kids. And so we decided that we were done having kids. And the reason was because when our daughter was born, she almost died. And the reason she almost died was because of a a medical condition my wife has that went undiagnosed. And as a result, we almost lost our daughter. She was in the hospital. She was in a coma. And by the grace of God, she was healed and she's survived and she's doing great today. But after that, you know, we were like, all right, we're done having kids. No more kids for us. So a few years went by. And then both of our young kids were in school. So one day, you know, kids are at school. I'm looking at Rosemary and I'm thinking, you know what we should do? We should have another kid, right? And so uh, I told her, hey, what if we had another baby? And she said, no way. Don't even talk to me about this. We were done with diapers and nap schedules and strollers and potty training. And to have another baby would mean that we got to start all over with all that stuff all over again. But here's the thing. I had noticed something. Even though we agreed that we're not having any more kids, we also hadn't gotten rid of our baby stuff. So the, the stroller and the car seat and the, the crib and the, the changing table, they were disassembled, but they were stored in the basement. We hadn't actually gotten rid of them. So I was thinking maybe she does secretly want to have another baby and she just doesn't know it yet. So I thought, okay. So, so I went to her and I said, okay, yeah, what do you think? Another baby? And she said, no. And stop talking to me about it. No more babies. So I said, you know, I came up with an idea. My idea was, I'll negotiate with her. So here was my negotiation. I said, listen, all you have to do is the pregnancy. I'm going to do everything else, right? Like, I promise. I'll get up in the middle of the night. I'll do all the diapers. I'll do all the stuff. You just do the pregnancy. I'll do the rest. And she apparently saw through that because she said, no, no more babies. Not going to happen. So I said, listen, okay, fine. I won't bring it up anymore, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray, and you can't stop me because you can't tell me what I can pray for and what I can't. So I'm going to go pray, and I'm going to pray that God gives us a baby. And she said, don't you dare. And I said, I'm going to do it. I am. And you know what the Bible says? It says that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so if I really am a righteous man, then you better watch out because God's going to hear my prayers and you're going to have a baby. And so some time went by and guess what? Yep, we got pregnant. We were going to have a baby. And when we found out, we cried, but kind of for different reasons, right? So 
Uh, we cried. Yeah. So partly because uh, we were happy, partly because we were a little scared about Rosemary's medical condition, and also partly because we knew that babies are a lot of work, right? Babies are really cute, but they're also exhausting and messy and kind of gross. They slobber a lot and they poop all the time and they have like blowouts and they throw up a lot. One time when our son was a baby, I, I had stayed up at night. I'd gotten up at night with him, and I was really exhausted. And I was so tired from being up with him. And Rosemary was asleep because she was tired, too. We were just tired all the time. And so I fell asleep on the floor in the living room with my son just kind of crawling around like free range. It was not a good situation. So he's crawling around, and I'm passed out on the floor on my back. And so he crawled up on top of me. And you know this thing where, like, babies, when they're, like, six to eight months or years old or around there somewhere, they have these, they're cut their teeth, right? And their teeth are like razor sharp baby teeth. So he climbs up on top of me and he bit the tip of my nose with his razor baby teeth. And it hurts so bad. And you know, you wake up and I'm like, I don't want to, oh, you like catch yourself. You're like, okay, can't injure the baby and can't scream. Don't want to scare the baby. So I kept my composure and it hurt really bad. But then a few minutes later, I fell back asleep. So he's still crawling around the house. So this time he climbs up on top of me and he actually threw up right on my face. But he didn't just throw up right on my face. He threw up right on my eyes. Now listen, I don't know if anyone's ever thrown up on your eyes. I really hope not. But let me tell you this. It's hard, right? Because you can't like, you can't open your eyes, right? So I'm like, okay. So with my eyes closed, I'm like, place baby here. You know, walk to the bathroom by memory without stepping on the baby or injuring myself or breaking anything. In other words, listen, God made babies cute so that we'd want to take care of them even though they're messy and gross and exhausting. And the thing you tell yourself when you're up in the middle of the night changing those diapers is this. You tell yourself, this isn't going to last forever. This is just a season. One day, they're going to get bigger. This baby stuff will go away. They're going to mature. That's the hope. That's the expectation. If the child is healthy, they'll grow and they'll develop. The baby stage doesn't last forever. And if it does, that means that something is tragically wrong. And the same is true on a spiritual level. The Bible tells us that when you put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you, you become a child of God. And that title, by the way, child of God, it doesn't belong to every human being just on account of them being a human being. No, look at what it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It's talking about Jesus, and it says this. But to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to be called children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In our study last week, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we saw how our default condition as people is that we're not children of God, right? That's our default. That's how we're born. We don't come into the world as children of God. It's not something you're born as. It's something you have to become. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. God came to us in the person of Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. In Jesus, God intervened on your behalf to change your status and to change your destiny. And because of what Jesus did for us in his life and his death and his resurrection, if you put your trust in him, then rather than being a child of wrath, you become a child of God. But the question is, okay, once you've become a child of God, what's next? 
What comes after that? What's the next step? What happens after you become a child of God? And the answer to that question is, what comes next is, it's time to grow. It's time to grow. Just like in life, everybody starts out as a baby, but a healthy baby doesn't remain a baby forever. A healthy baby grows. And in the same way, a healthy child of God needs to grow. You need to grow in the knowledge of God. You need to grow in using the gifts that God has given you. You need to grow in maturity. You need to grow in faith. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul the Apostle said this. He said, I will remain and continue with you for what? For the progress and joy in the faith. For your progress and your joy in the faith. Paul's desire, Paul's expectation for these fellow Christians is on the one hand that they would experience joy in believing, but on the other hand, you see that? It's that they would experience progress, that they would make progress in their faith, that they would mature and grow, and that they would move forward. You know, studies have shown that perhaps the number one factor, the most important key factor in people feeling content and fulfilled in their lives is a sense of progress and personal growth. Without a sense of progress and personal growth, you know what the feeling is? We describe it as being stuck. You're stuck. You're not making progress. You're not growing. You're not moving forward. And that feeling is discouraging, and it's deflating. And how much more so is that true on a spiritual level as well? You know, one of the metaphors that the Bible uses to describe what it looks like to have a relationship with God and to live a life of faith, the metaphor it uses is this metaphor of walking with God. And I want you to think about what that metaphor implies. Walking with God implies movement, doesn't it? It implies that you're going somewhere with God. You're not staying put. You're moving somewhere. And think about that. As you walk with God, there are things that you're moving away from, and there are other things that you're moving towards. And so the question is, how do we grow as children of God, and how do we make progress in our faith? The title of today's message is, Time to grow. And every week I give you a sentence. This sentence is a standalone takeaway truth that I encourage you to write down, put it in your notes, and I encourage you to take a photo of it, whatever you got to do so that you can think on this and remember it and ponder it throughout the week. And it will also be our outline for this sermon and this for studying this text. And so as you remember the sentence, it'll help you to remember what we learned in this text. So here's our sentence for today. Growing in maturity as children of God requires nutrition, exercise, and construction. Let's use that sentence and we'll break it down as we study through this passage. So first of all, growing in maturity as children of God. That's the first part of our sentence. This is Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, inviting you to join us this Easter weekend as we celebrate the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll begin on Good Friday. We'll have two services on Good Friday at 5 o'clock and 6.30 p.m. On Resurrection Sunday, April 17th, we'll begin at 6 a.m. with our sunrise service, and then we'll have 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. services. Invite everybody, but bring somebody. And we can't wait to see you this Easter Sunday as we celebrate the new life that we have in Jesus because he has risen from the dead. For information, directions, and details, visit our website at whitefieldschurch.com. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says this. 
But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh and as infants in Christ. In the previous section, in chapter 2, Paul explained to us that there are basically two kinds of people in the world. He said there is the natural person and there is the spiritual person. The natural person and the spiritual person. Every one of us is born as a natural person. That's our default condition. In order to become a spiritual person, you have to, as Jesus said, be born again. See, it's one thing to be born physically. Everybody's born physically at some point in their life. But in order to become a child of God, you have to be born again spiritually. And that happens when you put your faith in Jesus and what he did to save you. When that happens, you are, the Bible says, when that happens, what happens inside of you is that you are born again and you are regenerated. You become a new person. You're no longer just a natural person. You become a spiritual person because God places his Holy Spirit inside of you to do this work of transformation and instruction and leading you from within. So now, though, Paul says this. He says, look, yes, there's, there's two kinds of people, but there's also a third. But there's also a third, right? So there's a natural person. There's a spiritual person. Now Paul says, here's, here's a third category for you. There's the carnal person. A carnal person. The word carnal means of the flesh. So you can think about when you go to the Mexican grocery store and you get uh, carne asada or you get chili con carne or you're proud of yourself because you're a carnivore or you look down on other people because you're not a carnivore. Whatever that is, you understand that carnivore, the word carne refers to the flesh. So a carnal person is someone who is of the flesh. And you can put it this way. The carnal person, Paul tells us, is a person who is a Christian and yet they live as if they aren't. They are a Christian, but they live as if they weren't. Even though they believe in Jesus, their thoughts and their actions are more similar to those of a natural person who doesn't know God and who doesn't follow Jesus. Paul says it's kind of like this. It's like you're a child of God, but you're an infant perpetually. You're a perpetual infant. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being an infant unless you never progress past that stage. That was the problem with the Corinthians. Look at what Paul says in verse 2. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're still not ready for it. The problem was that the Corinthian Christians hadn't grown. They hadn't matured. They hadn't made progress in their faith. And here's how Paul knew that. Look at what it says in verses 3 and 4. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Are you not being merely human is what he says. Listen, the evidence of their immaturity there in Corinth was the fact that there was jealousy and strife amongst them. And they were arguing and they were dividing over dumb stuff and petty issues. Rather than being united around the gospel which gives us a shared identity as the redeemed children of God, and it gives us a shared mission as the people of God in the world, given gifts and, and commissioned by God to do his work in the world. Rather than being united around the gospel, they were bickering and dividing over petty, trivial stuff. It's interesting that Paul uses this metaphor of babies, and here's why. Because I'm not an expert on child development, but I, I do know enough about it to know this. The thing about small children 
is that they are egocentric in their development, which means that they view the world and they view everything around them in relation to themselves, right? So basically, it'd be like the world or the universe revolves around them. That's how they view the world and relate to people. And it's only as a child grows and matures, what happens is that they become more and more conscious of other people's feelings and other people's needs and what's going on in the lives of other people around them. And so think about it. Someone who is stunted in their development, they could be 40 or 50 years old, but they still think and act in many ways emotionally like a child. And part of that is that they are egocentric. They view the world as revolving around them. Now, what does that mean for us as we grow in maturity as Christians? Well, how do you know that you're growing in maturity? How do you know if you're maturing or not? Well, here's how you can know. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul tells us that God's goal, the purpose, right, the finish line that he's taking us towards is this. Maturity as a Christian means becoming more like Jesus. He says it again in Ephesians chapter 4, that the end goal of God's work in your life is that you would grow up and become like Jesus more and more. And that's exciting if you think about it, because the Bible tells us that Jesus was the happiest person who ever lived. Check it out in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. Jesus was the happiest person who ever lived. And we also read that people love to be around Jesus. Jesus embodied everything that was good and beautiful and true. So to be like Jesus is exceedingly good, and that's God's desire for you and your life. It's his plan. That's what he wants to do in you. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us that to be like Jesus, what, what does it look like? Here's what it looks like. Here's what it means. To be like Jesus means not only looking to your own interests, but looking to the interests of others like Jesus did. It means following God's calling and mission for your life just like Jesus did. It means loving others sacrificially and serving them just like Jesus did. But the Corinthians, unfortunately, were not doing those things. Instead, the Corinthians were thinking, over, thinking only about themselves and, and insisting upon their preferences and bickering and dividing over petty stuff and trivial things. And this kind of thinking, these kind of actions, Paul tells us, there's nothing spiritual about this. It is totally carnal. It is of the flesh. It is not of the spirit. And I think it's worth stopping here and saying this. It's really easy for us to look back 2,000 years and judge the Corinthians, say, oh man, look at those Corinthians, so carnal, am I right? Yeah, high five each other and just like walk out of here. Oh man, sure I'm glad that we learned that the Corinthians were carnal. Good, now let's get on with Sunday. No, listen, the whole point of this is to say this, if they were carnal, we need to stop and ask ourselves, look at their actions. Are there any ways in which we are carnal, right? Are there any ways in which you need to ask yourself this question and discuss it with the Lord and ask, Lord, are there any areas where I am acting and thinking in ways that are carnal rather than spiritual? Now, maybe some of you say, yeah, well, you know, if I was honest, I'd say, yeah, of course. There are some things in my life that are, that are carnal. But you know what? Of course there are because I'm only human. What more do you expect of me? And notice that's exactly what Paul says in verses 3 and 4. He says, you guys are behaving in a way that is merely human. And you might say, well, of course, Paul. That is exactly how I'm acting because that's what I am. I'm merely human. And Paul would say, no, you're not. No, you are not. You're not merely human. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. You have a higher life and a higher power at work inside of you. You're not merely human. You're a child of God. And as a child of God, you have a calling that is higher, 
a, a way of living and being that is higher than that which is common or merely human. So the question is, again, how do we grow in maturity as children of God? And that brings us to the next part of our sentence. So growing in maturity as children of God requires nourishment, first of all, nourishment. Verse 5 says this, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. You know, throughout the Bible, there are metaphors that are used to describe the revelation that God has given us that we have here on the pages of the Bible. And those metaphors are often to do with food. You realize that? Like, for example, Jesus described the word of God as being like bread, which nourishes and sustains our souls. Peter talks about the word of God as being like milk, which helps us to grow up into salvation. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about the word of God as being like pure water. The Old Testament prophets, they talk about the word of God as being like honey, this sweet to the taste. You know, to describe the words of Scripture as being like food is a really interesting metaphor, and here's why. How many of you have ever been to the grocery store, and you've gone to the grocery store when you were hungry? So you've been in the grocery store, and you probably made some really bad decisions, right? You did some things that you shouldn't have done. You overbought. You bought the wrong things. You just, like, it wasn't a good idea to go to the grocery store when you were hungry. But listen, that just proves to us you can be surrounded by food and still be hungry. Of course, right, because that food, as long as it's on the shelf and not in your stomach, it doesn't do anything for you. In order for that food to do anything for you, it has to get off the shelf, and you have to consume it. In the same way, you can own a Bible. You can have a Bible app on your phone, but unless you open it, unless you consume what's in it, unless you digest it and bring it into yourself, it's not going to do any good for you. And some of the teachings of the Bible, Paul tells us, some of them are like milk, and others of them are like solid food, like pork chops, like steak, like meat. Milk is easy to digest. You don't have to chew it. It's easy to swallow. In the same way, some of the teachings of the Bible are simple and easy to swallow. But there are other parts of the Bible that are harder to swallow. Do you ever run into those parts of the Bible? The ones that are hard to swallow? The ones that you might have to chew on? The ones that you might have to, to, to break them down for a little while before you can really digest them? The Corinthians hadn't progressed. They hadn't grown. They hadn't matured in their understanding and in their handling of God's Word. In order to grow and mature as a child of God, it requires nourishment. And that nourishment comes from the Word of God. Which is why, if you haven't, haven't noticed yet by now, we here at Whitefields, we place a big emphasis on the studying of the Bible. Both here at church, and we encourage you to do it on your own and in groups. It's a big thing about who we are. We're Bible people. And why? Because we want you to grow. We want you to grow. And we know that in order to grow, you need a steady diet of God's Word. Now remember, Paul the Apostle was the one who had founded and established the church there in Corinth on his second missionary journey. Acts chapter 18 is where we read about that. And he was there for a year and a half there in Corinth, and Paul pastored these people, and he taught them the Bible. But after Paul left, we read that another man came in, and he taught them the Bible after Paul was gone. That man's name was Apollos. You can read about him in Acts chapter 18 as well. And it says there in the book of Acts that Apollos was a gifted orator and a very good speaker. And so some people in the church began dividing 
over whose, who their allegiance was to, right? They said, oh, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I align myself with Paul. I align myself with Apollos. And these two groups became adversarial against each other. They were fighting and bickering and dividing over this issue. And Paul looks at this and he says, guys, this is ridiculous. Apollos and I, you know what we were? We were just servants through whom you believed. We were not the ones in whom you believed. Your faith and your allegiance should be to Jesus, not to any human agent that God used. Furthermore, Paul says, Apollos and I, we're on the same team. You guys are fighting over who's of who. Apollos and I love each other, man. We're on the same team. We're both working for the same goal. And Paul says, look, I was there first, and so I planted the seed with my teaching. And then Apollos came, and he watered that seed with his teaching. But we were working for the same thing. We're on the same team. We're not divided. See, Jesus described the word of God as being like a seed. There's a parable in which he talks about this. The parable is seed in the sower. And when we hear the word of God, it's as if those seeds are planted in the soil of our hearts. Now, sometimes that soil is better than other times. Sometimes the soil of our hearts might be shallow or full of rocks or full of weeds and things which prevent the Word of God from having the fruit in our lives that it could. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.